0: Well, it was a pleasure to speak with our next guest. Great to have him in studio uh, today to talk about his latest book. Ted Barris, award-winning journalist, historian, and author. Uh, The new book is called "Dam Busters, Canadian Airmen and the Secret Raid Against Nazi Germany. Uh, An event going down tonight, by the way, at the Military Museum, 7 o'clock, doors open at 6. Uh, Ted Barris, great to have you
1: with us. You're welcome to the program. What a pleasure to meet you face-to-face, yeah, finally, no, after all so many these... times before. Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Well, thanks for coming down. Uh, this is what, 18, 19 books now you've written? 18. 18. Yeah. It's incredible.
1: Well, <laughs> um, I'm a freelancer, uh, and I got it from my dad. My dad was a freelancer back when most people didn't know how to spell it. Yeah, um, Alex Barris. Some of your listeners may know of the Barris Beat. Uh, he was the originator of Front Page Challenge, the television show oh, really? on CBC okay. Television. Wow! And uh, wrote books. I learned at the elbow of of the master. Yeah, no kidding.
0: Uh, but not just that you've written so many books, but that, you know, you're able to find all of these different stories about Canadian military history and, you know, even stories. I mean, like this one, people remember there was a movie made about this many years ago. So people I may mean, have some familiarity with this story. But, you know, all these years later, you know, when we we have very few Second World War survivors, veterans still alive, right. that there are still stories to be told.
1: What's remarkable is that there's a shelf full of Dambuster books, most of them written by Brits, mm-hmm. some Australians, um, all, some autobiographical pieces, but generally missing the fact that there were 30 Canadians involved. And that's probably not that odd because they were, for the most part, Part involved in what was considered an, a Royal Air Force operation. Bomber Command was the unit that that did all of the bombing raids. Yeah. All the Commonwealth air crews flew at night without lights. They knew how to fly at yeah. night. The Americans didn't. That's why they had the big gunships, the B-17s, flying in the daytime. At about the midpoint of the war, when things were not good, thing, there was no good news. Churchill has nothing to report. Right. The Americans have just come into the war in 1942, and... Uh, at best, the Battle of the Atlantic is a stalemate. At best, the British 8th Army is pushing Rommel back in the in the North African desert. At best, the Soviets are keeping the Nazis out of uh, Stalingrad to a certain extent. No good news. And suddenly this uh, scientist in England, a guy named Barnes Wallace, comes up with this idea to use what's referred to as a bouncing bomb. When when Rob, when you go out to the lake and you throw a stone at... Bounces across or skips oh, I love across, doing that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think it's your strong right arm that's delivering <laughs> yeah, right? all those skips. It's not. It's the spinning stone that makes it skip. He comes up, Wallace comes up with this idea of a bouncing skipping bomb, ten thousand pounds to go over the torpedo nets that the Nazis have put in the reservoirs protecting the dams. So this bouncing bomb has to be delivered by a four engine Lancaster bomber. The pilots train for seven and a half weeks, not knowing what the targets are in England. Yeah. From Lincolnshire, they fly on the night of the 16th of May, 1943, at treetop level. Look outside your building today. If you're in an apartment, look at about four or five stories up or a tall tree, 60 or 70 feet. These Lancasters flew at three and a half hours at that altitude, no higher than 100 feet, all the way to the Ruhr river dams, bounced these bombs in and took two of the the dams out uh, that night at extraordinary cost. Half of the men didn't come back. Of the 133, 56 were killed. Of the 30 Canadians involved in the raid, 14 didn't come back. Wow.
0: Operation Chastise, it was known as. Yep. Uh, And as you say, 1943, uh, things were not looking so good. So what was the importance of this operation?
1: Good question. It wasn't strategic or tactical. It wasn't about uh, completely debilitating Nazi war production, although it did for several months. Mm-hmm. But the, the Nazis were so offended, affronted by the fact that the RAF could coast some, so deep into, into Germany and do this and get away with it, in effect, that they brought all manner of resources to the dams to have them rebuilt. It took them 79 days to rebuild the Mona. The the dam was operational again in October. But what it did is it was an antidote to what I just described a minute ago. No good news, now suddenly great news. Uh, Churchill is standing in Congress on the 19th of May, two days after the raid, able to tell the Americans all these other things that I was telling you about, some progress, but we've significantly damaged uh, Nazi war production with this dam's raid. And he's crowing in front of the Congress. Mm -hmm. And he's also saying to the Americans... It's time to ante up because yeah. the Commonwealth has been taking the burden of the war from 1939. The Americans are just in it, and it's time for them to participate. But so there, there was no American involvement in this. So actually, on the front cover, yes, there was one American was pilot, really? a guy named Joe McCarthy, not the senator. <laughs> oh, really? Not the senator. He's the tall guy in the image uh, that's on the front cover. And his story is fascinating because he's born in New York City. Uh, um, he works as a Coney Island lifeguard. Uh, as a kid, and Mm -hmm. gets a chance through getting his pilot's license to apply to the U.S. Army Air Force. The Americans aren't in the war. They don't want to be in the war. They're isolationist. Isn't this familiar? Yeah. And so he finds a way to Canada. He's actually smuggled into Canada. There's an organization in the States called the Clayton Knight Committee named after a US Air Force ace in the first war Clayton Knight and it's designed to smuggle qualified aircrew from the United States which is still not in the war in 1938 39 40 smuggles Joe McCarthy into Ottawa he goes to Toronto gets his training gets his wings and just as he's graduating in from the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan he's uh, he's informed or knows that uh, the Japanese have bombed Pearl Harbor. He has the option to go back to the States, mm-hmm. become the, part of the U.S. Army Air Force. He says, no, I'm in the RCAF, the Royal Canadian Air Force. I'm going to stay here. He goes overseas, does a full tour um, uh-huh. on bomber command, and is handpicked by Guy Gibson to go on the raid on this massive uh, overnight secret raid against the dams.
0: Well, yeah, as you say, I mean, it was very secret. They they didn't know what they were training for.
1: That, yeah, that's, the, that's mind-boggling. Yeah. You've got 133 men who were briefed on the first day. Uh, Guy Gibson says to them, if I f- pick a tree in England, you're going to be able to find that tree at low level flying day or night every single time within the next seven weeks. And at the end of the seven and a half weeks, then they're told literally on the eve of the raid, They're not going to a fjord in Norway, which all of them thought they were going to do, to bomb the uh, battleship Tirpitz. They're going to go into German territory. One of the rear gunners, a guy named Dave Roger, who's also on the front cover, the guy kneeling on the far right, he says, we felt as if we were seven men against the Reich. They were so deep into enemy enemy territory, there was nobody there to help them. They were on their own, each of them delivering one bomb in this raid. And... Uh, to to pull this off after having just been told the day of the operation what the target was. I, I mean, this is masterful aviation.
0: It's great. How, how deep exactly?
1: How deep into into Germany? Um, it was about a three and a half hour flight at that treetop level. Wow! Can you imagine the the, the stress on a pilot flying a fifteen ton bomber at night? F- at night, it's moonlit and and clear, but at treetop. I mean, we use the phrase all the time: going flying under the radar, right? This was the first example of it, literally right. flying beneath the Nazi radar so they wouldn't be detected. At one point, a guy from uh, Moose Jaw, uh, Ken Brown, says he's flying so low that he's dodging the islands on the way in through Holland towards the Ruhr. And he looks up and he sees the German night fighters, the, anti- the, the aircraft looking for them, and they're looking up, looking for the Lancasters at 20 and 25,000 feet. These guys were below 100. We're in the
0: studio speaking with uh, author and historian Ted Barris. His latest book is called "Dam Busters: Canadian Airmen and the Secret Raid Against Nazi Germany." Uh, in fact, uh, just during the break, I had a listener text. His mom's cousin was part of the Canadian crew and is one of the the gentlemen, one of the young men, very young men. Some of them on on the cover of the book.
1: Yeah, his his name is uh, Don McLean. And uh, I, I interviewed his sons, Jim and Bill, uh, in Burlington, and I got his flight logs and his story. I'll try to compress it. It's an amazing story. Here's a young guy who's a clerk in Toronto when the war breaks out. Big family. Uh, signs up, but he's mathematically inclined, so he's streamed into navigation. He ends up uh, doing a full tour, 30 trips in, over enemy territory, is chosen by Guy Gibson. He becomes part of uh, Joel McCarthy's crew, the, the yeah, guy, the American right. I just mentioned, he's McCarthy's navigator. Now, the navigators get put their heads together and they try to figure out the the ways, the best ways to expedite things. You know, when you're in your car in the old days before GPS and you had to fold out the paper map to figure out where you're going and, oh, it's on the other side and it's upside down and the window opens and the map flies around <laughs> the inside of the car. Yeah, yeah. we've all done that uh, if we're old enough to remember it. But They had these maps. RAF maps were big, bulky, ineffective, inefficient maps. The navigators decided they were going to be flying so low that the amount of territory on either side of them is quite minimal. So they trim off the maps, put the maps stretched like a piece of toilet paper on a a roller to roll in front of the navigator so he's not having to deal with all that excess paper. McLean looks at this, realizes the potential for an efficient run, but says, I don't like it. What if I go off course? (laughs) It's a good thing he decided to stick with the old map. It saved the lives of every one of the men on his crew. Because they're coming back, they get off course because they have to change aircraft at the last minute in England. And the coordinates that are with every aircraft for the amount of steel in the aircraft and its impact on the compass is different from aircraft to aircraft. He'd forgotten to do the transition. They got confused. He needed the map to get home. He saved their lives. That's incredible.
0: Uh, but as you say, a lot of them didn't make it back. Um, so, so what happened to them? Was it uh, the, the, that the Germans found them? Were were, were targeting them? Yeah,
1: um, there was an element of surprise for the first, the, most of the, the route in. Uh, Some of the aircraft were uh, driven off course by the batteries on the coast. One was shot down in the Zoiter Z, another one plowed into a high-tension wire pylon. They were flying so low that the front gunner was tasked with the job of yelling to the pilot when he saw high-tension wires. Uh, One of them went down on that. Then on the return, they're heading back, again, treetop level, but the Germans are now alerted because the bombers have done their worst, breaching two dams and damaging a third. All guns are ready and waiting. And the other thing that's working against them is they're they're so late into the night that dawn is approaching, and they're more visible on the return flight, and another two or three are, are shot down on the way back. So of the 19 that went in... Eight were shot down, 56 men lost.
0: Well, yeah, when you think about it, I mean, their job was to go and deliver this bomb. But dropping that bomb, that you're only halfway there, right? You, you They still had to get out. That's right. Right? Uh, and just feeling as though you'd accomplished that. But just, as you say, the, the danger of going back the same way you just came.
1: And on McLean's aircraft, Joel McCarthy's pilot, McLean's the navigator, Okay, so now McLean's got the wider map to get them home across Germany, across Holland. And they're just before they leave Germany, they're hit with anti aircraft fire. And and McCarthy goes on the intercom to check that everybody's okay. And they they, they, they hear a thud and a bang, but they carry on. And they're getting on their final approach back into Scampton and RAF Scampton back in, in Lincolnshire. And McCarthy drops landing gear. He doesn't have a right wheel, it's gone. That shell came through the wheel, through the wing, narrowly missing the fuel tank. It sent shrapnel through the Astrodome, came crashing down on McLean's navigational table (laughs) while he's trying to figure out how to get these guys home. Now McCarthy's got to land this 15-ton bomber. And he does such a beautiful job of what most pilots would refer to a gentle stall. Mm-hmm. Just as he's about to touch down with the, only the left landing gear. And then he's allowed, as the, as the aircraft is slowing, he allows the right wing tip to touch the ground. They do one ground loop, come to a stop, and everybody's safe. That just shows you, illustrates the extraordinary capability these young men had reached. Yeah. And, and, and if I could, one, another final kind of buttonhole thought on this thing. I did the research on all 133 men, and you know this, Rob, the, the training that was delivered by the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan during the war, principally done in Canada at 231 schools, half the guys on the dams raid were trained in Canada. Even though they were British or, in one case, American, American yeah. New Zealand, Australia, and Canadian, half of them were trained here, which means they had that skill before they went overseas, given to them here in Canada. Yeah, and
0: you got this picture on the cover that we'd alluded to. Um, it's such a remarkable picture, just the detail in this picture. But this was taken, you said, the day after they got back?
1: The day they got or back. The day they got back. These guys landed, as I just described to you in the case of McCarthy, in the wee hours of the morning. They, Those who returned... Um, tumble out of their aircraft and they're given the most precious meal in all of Britain, bacon and eggs. Oh, yeah. Because it's so scarce. They get a cup of coffee, maybe a tot of rum. They go to bed. They're rusted out of bed. You can see in the photograph that very short shadows... Um, The guy who survives to this very day, second from the left on the front cover, Fred Sutherland, told me that they took the photograph just before noon. They had to put their gear back on and set up for these RAF official photographs because the RAF knew once this was released, this was a big deal. So the Brits were photographed together, the New Zealanders and the Australians were photographed together, and the... Canadians and the one American photographed here together for publicity purposes. And when this stuff hit the papers, it was as if they'd won the war. Yeah. In England, May 16th, 17th, 1943 is like emancipation. For us, it would be like our July 1st. Yeah, It's an amazing phenomenon. And, and we don't re- realize how great the Canadian content was in this story. Yeah, yeah. And
0: just, you know, we just got a couple minutes here, but Fred Sutherland, uh, as you mentioned, he's seconds uh, on the left, looks like, just like a kid, looks like a high school kid. Yeah, he's 22. Lives in um, Rocky Mountain House. Yeah.
1: Right? Just up the road. Yeah. I, I met with him and unassuming, like most veterans, wasn't eager to boast or brag or talk about it. But when I sat down with him, as I have with probably 6,000 other veterans in my time, um, Asked the questions in a gentle way and said, look, I'm just looking for information. There were times when he couldn't tell me the answers. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what the strategy was. He was a gunner. Yeah. His job is to defend the aircraft and to watch for the high-tension wires, which he was most afraid of. Oh, no, that was of what he was frightened of. But uh, a, a very he, he had a, a later flying career. Um, he was with the Forestry Department in Alberta, and he crashes again. Really? Um, in or crashes in in the mountains and survives and the think in the 70s. That was the last time he flew <laughs> in Jeez. small aircraft. But in a remarkable man, no bravado, yeah. no uh, bragging, a modest but a true hero oh, yeah. in the sense of the word. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. The book is called Dam Busters, Canadian Airmen and the Secret Raid Against Nazi Germany. Just an incredible story. And Ted, you'll be speaking about uh, this in great detail tonight. Doors open at 6, 7 uh, o'clock. It starts at the military museums. Uh, congrats on the book, Ted, and thanks so much for stopping by here today. Really a pleasure. pleasure. Nice to meet you. Yeah, finally in person. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Ted Barris, the book is called Dam Busters. We are back with more right after this.